My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mel Herbert here for Talking Tesla. Look, uh, we're going to do something very different for episode 31. We are actually going to record in the Tesla. So here's what happened. On Friday, I got my Model X. Very excited. What an amazing car. Tom and Robert are coming over. We're going to mic them up with lapel mics, and we're going to go for a drive. They're going to get their first uh, sort of feelings about the car and the autopilot and fit and finish and all that stuff. But unfortunately, because we're doing it in the car, we're using lapel mics, it's not going to be the usual audio quality. But I think... It makes up for it in just sort of getting that uh, first impressions while we're in the car. So uh, without further ado, let's go uh, see what the boys think of the Tesla. It's an X and it's amazing. And fair warning, uh, there's a little bit of language here because we were doing some accelerating and scaring each other. And, uh, you know, words were said, so maybe not one for the kids. So, uh, Tom, this would be a good time to try your auto driving. Okay, I'm going to try it Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Where was it going? Why did it decide to accelerate? It wants to get up to freeway speeds, but then it'll see that car. And it'll Will slow it? down. Will it? I don't think you need to touch the steering wheel there, Tom. <laughs> Keep your hands really, on it so that you can take it. I really do not. Just remember I am this. Not How are you feeling this. about that? Does that flip you I'm, out? I'm fully, actually, I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, no, his left hand is trembling near the steering wheel. <laughs> my foot is like, I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. See this flat part of the dash here? Yeah. That's where your heels belong. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely freaky, is it? Don't you remember? So what, and you have it set for medium distance? Yeah. So it'll look at it, that car and it'll, I think it's supposed to be like four seconds behind the car in front. So as the car speeds up as it is, 1, it'll chase 1, after 000, it. Three, you're at three seconds. And then 1, it'll 000, slow down. 2, this is good because of the traffic, 3. it'll slow down. Yeah, it's doing 46 right now and now it's hitting some... Oh, oh, oh this oh, is somebody's interesting. in front of us. Oh, oh, it's slowing down more. Interesting. Now look at the dash. You see all the little cars? It's like a video game. Yeah. Up there. It is, but you know, if somebody... They cuts... all look like Teslas except for... <laughs> yeah, that's true. They all look... it's, it's called Elon Delusion. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, actually, this is a report I just read this morning. So he was at the European Congress of Transport uh-huh. and said that their initial data suggests of 47 million miles that you have a 50% reduction in your probability of getting into an accident while autopilot is on versus when it is off. They've they've driven 47 million, million autopilot, autopilot, autopilot miles, miles since October. How is that possible with like, there can't be more than 30,000 autopilot enabled cars, right? Yeah, I would say the there's more that. than that. There's probably this is closer the to 60. It speeds up, but the cars are stopped. Stop. So that's stops. the one thing like, so what I don't like about it initially, right, is that it drives much jerkier than I would. Yeah. Probably like I would drive this much smoother, much more in, obviously naturally, right? Like it's it's definitely doing the the forward backward like catching up kind of deal. I would like to see how many watt hours you consume driving a 50 mile circuit. Uh-huh. And then compare it to the car driving that 50-mile circuit. But that's high, right? Like, so that little bit right there. Oh, that... What are we at? What's the average? 382. 382. But we just got on the freeway. 382 is right. not bad. You know, your goal 
is to stay at 350 or below. So now I have to get over. You'll hear in the next series of audio, Tom being frustrated by the fact that the car is not changing lanes. So what happens when you're in autopilot is that you hit the indicator and say, you know, put me into the left lane and it'll do it for you. It'll wait for a gap and then it'll put you over there. What we didn't realize is that we had that turned off. For some reason, when I was playing with it, I turned that off. Later on, we discovered that will explain some of the confusion about why the car is not changing lanes. So I didn't look in the back mail, but does your Model X have a little line underneath? All right, I'm taking uh, over X. Underneath the model number, is there a little line underneath? The oh, model I didn't number? notice. What does that signify? Oh, that's the ludicrous mode. Oh, no, I don't have ludicrous. You don't have the ludicrous mode. No. But so, apparently you would have had ludicrous mode. Yeah, I, I was so ready to pop for ludicrous mode. But I have to say that now that I've got deposits on two Model 3s, I'm thinking, hmm, in two or two and a half years, that's going to be a pretty sweet ride. And my X is going to, I mean, my S is going to have like 100,000 miles on it. Maybe I'll just take one of those. Are you going to be able to go backwards? This is the, one of the questions I actually had for Mel initially. But will it be backwards? Because it's going to have it's going to be much gen, smaller. Next gen uh, uh, autopilot sensors. So you'll have even more autonomy. Right. It's going to have that dash in which I think you're going to be able to take the steering wheel and just pop it off and throw it in the frunk. I don't think the car is just going to be able to regulators are going to allow that for a long time. Yeah, that's the big question. It's when when they'll let you do full autonomy. We should have put the Google Doc up on the screen. Yeah, I've got the Google Doc in front of me. So um, the first story then is Ford. So this is from the Motley Fool, and it says that uh, while other EV makers are really making their push, you know, Tesla and GM. Ford, not so much. So they said, though, in December, they put aside $4.5 million into developing EVs. Um, But they're basically not going to go for over a 100-mile range. They're just going to go with a Ford Electric Focus, a 100-mile range, and I think that is missing the point. But they are using that CCS plug that we talked about. So, Tom, what do you think? I think that, uh, just full disclosure, I am a Ford stockholder. Oh, there you go. Well, you Um, everything. (laughs) <laughs> it's the greatest idea they've ever had. And I think that Ford is missing the boat on this one, and I wish that they were... Why is this car driving 30 miles an hour? Did I, did I reduce its... The autopilot now thinks says it's at 30 is there a, instead of 60. So it turns out one of the ways to think about autopilot is the same as cruise control. Think of it as cruise control on steroids. So that little stick that you hit to enable autopilot and cruise control. Um, If you tap it, then you can slow down your speed just like you can on cruise control. So we worked that out and we tapped the little stick and said, speed up, speed up, and got it back up to uh, the correct freeway speed. So when I got the X on Friday, that was the way it was described to me. And I thought it was really good. Think of autopilot as enhanced cruise control. It's going to do your speed. It's also going to keep you the right distance from the car in front of you. It's going to keep you within the lane. Um, But in the end, it's just still basically cruise control you'll still need to be watching what's going on sorry so let's get back so to the ford, ford thing so they, are they missing the boat with the 200 mile ev rather than a 100 mile ev and rather than a 200 mile ev i think for sure they are although again maybe they are onto something with 100 miles and fast charging you know again there's not a whole lot of fast charging infrastructure out there but um but 100 miles if you want to go to vegas that means every hour 
Right. I got to pull over and charge. For sure. Yeah. No. You know, it's not a Vegas car. This is really freaking me out. So we're going downhill about 63 miles an hour. The car really feels like it's all over the place. So what Tom's referring to there is this sensation that you get. It's not a sensation, it's a real thing, that the car tends to wander between the lines. So it's looking at the lines on the road, and it's doing a little bit of wandering between the two. It's like, oh, where's that line? Where's that line? It's doing a little bit of this back and forth. And when I picked up the car, the gentleman there that was explaining all the features said that he noticed that as well, just this little bit of wander. Now, I think that that's going to be an easy thing to fix in software as an upgrade um, to just say, don't do that wandering, you know, stick between the lines. But it can be a little bit disconcerting that it does this little bit of wandering. And and sometimes I've found that when I'm using it on the streets, if it's wandering over to the left a little bit as I'm getting closer to a car that might be uh, wandering a little to the right, it can be a little bit anxiety producing. So that's why, again, I don't think you should not be watching the road. You need to be fully attentive because it could wander a little bit when somebody else is wandering. But we also noticed that on that road that we were driving on, that they'd sandblasted the road recently uh, they're putting a new sort of surface on and the lines were not very clear so we think it was having an extra hard time finding those lines and so maybe that little wander was a bit more than usual so let me do the next story because the road noise was a bit too much and a bit too distracting for you to listen to so we talked about the model 3 is it going to be a success or not and one of the articles we found said look there's a lot of reasons to believe that the model 3 will be actually a runaway success it already has been so when the first iphone came out In the first two days, there was a few hundred thousand uh, reservations for that phone. The Model 3 was almost the same number, you know, about 230,000 reservations. But the difference is the people had to put $1,000 down to get their reservation for the Model 3. So if the iPhone is any example, in the last seven or eight years, the iPhone's gone from that initial great public sort of response initially to now selling, you know, 90 million units a year. If it follows an iPhone, Tesla has got a huge hit on its hand. The 0 to 60 speed of this Model 3 is second fastest in class, and people are going to love that speed. In terms of how much does it cost to drive per mile of range, in a Tesla Model 3, about $163 per mile of range. It's like, you know, $35,000, and it gets 212 miles, and so you can work out how much you're sort of paying per mile of range. Compare that to the BMW i3, a great little car that's selling very well, That's $253 per mile of range. So the Tesla is going to come in as a car that gets a lot of range for very little dollars per mile, as it were. And it's also expected that the growth of EVs, over and above what Tesla is doing, is going to start to become exponential in 2020. And so this car is coming out just at the right time, just at the right price, with an initial surge of interest that... Indeed, they may not sell 500,000 of these a year. If they can get production up, they could very well sell many millions of these per year. Very exciting. Why won't this thing change lanes? <laughs> Making top of the line, I mean, literally, it will not change lanes. You're holding it wrong. I'm not. <laughs> I did nothing. Like, oh, what is wait, it? Hey, what? I've done it. No, I've, there's a truck right there. I've um, changed lanes multiple times at it. Tom brought up the concern that uh, this initial sort of Model 3, is it going to be like with the X and the S and really only the people who you know really get the expensive options are going to be the first to get the car, in which case a lot of people are not going to see this for even a year after they start production. Is that possible? Um, Robert disagreed and believed that you know this is what it's all been about, that uh, Elon really wants to get an affordable electric car and get lots of them out there. And so he doesn't think that that's going to be an issue. 
He came out again at that European uh, Transportation Congress and said uh, that they are planning a fourth generation car, which is going to come in at an even lower price. He says that the Model 3 is priced so that about half the people who own cars will be able to afford it. So it's still making it a fairly expensive lower end car. Um, but they're planning already to have a car that comes in at significantly cheaper than the Model 3, so it can be a true mass market adoption. But it'll be yet to be proven of whether they can make this on time. I just don't see how they can go, they can ramp up in 18 months to be producing 400,000 cars. And I think that tweet that he had soon after, uh, he was basically saying the same thing. We're going to have to rethink production. And what does that mean when he says rethink production? We got into a discussion about that. I was suggesting that maybe he's just going to have to get together with Ford, GM or uh, Toyota, somebody, and say, you know how to make lots and lots and lots and lots of cars in lots of different countries. Um, we could work together and produce this mass market car. Tom brought up the very important point that what does that do to his margins if he now has to you know, do this with Toyota and give them half the profit or something? It just doesn't seem like something that they would do. It was also brought up that maybe, you know, this is where somebody like Apple comes in and says, look, we have the cash. You know how to build these cars. You get a big investment from a third party like Apple, and they bring together their self-driving technology that they're working on with Teslas and some money, and they build this infrastructure out together. Who knows? But if this is as big a hit as it could be, like literally millions of people wanting this car, it's not just a little bit of thought change in production. This is a complete change in the way they're thinking. They were thinking of maxing out at 500,000 cars. What if it's 5 million? Everything has to change. Let's now talk a little bit about solar. Uh, San Francisco has passed an ordinance that says that if you've got a building less than, and that's important, less than five, less than 10 stories high, then you've got to put solar panels up there. Uh, Tom sort of explains where this comes from. The state of California is requiring all new buildings over 10 stories to have 15% of that surface area available and wired for solar. That means it can't be shaded, right? What San Francisco was was the first municipality to make it so they had to put the panels in there. Okay. Right, so the couple of smaller municipalities have done that already. San Francisco is the biggest, big, biggest large city that has made that a requirement for all new construction. Now, of course, there are people out there that say, no, no, that's all, you know, nanny state kind of stuff. I'm not one of those people. I think that uh, good government with a bit of push in the right direction can really help things move along. And it's really depressing to me when I fly over Los Angeles, a city which is just so perfect to have solar everywhere, doesn't. Um, It just doesn't. And you could say, well, that's because the market hasn't dropped the prices enough. Yeah, I get it. But we need to move this along. We really have got to move this along. We've got to start doing some distributed energy. We've got to use clean energy. And if governments can help that by some incentives and even by some laws, then I'm for it up to a point. Obviously, you know, governments can screw stuff up, but then so can private industry. But we should have in places that are really sunny down here in the sort of southwest, incentives and even rules that make people put solar panels everywhere. We've just got to start doing this stuff. We have to accelerate this move to renewable energy or we're screwed. I'll go a step farther with you. And I think anytime the DWP comes to its rate holders and says, we want to build a new plant, we say, no, you build it. You put that all of that money and put solar panels on all of your customers roofs and that will do the same problem you know that will solve give you the same issues and if it takes 
putting some Tesla power packs in places that you know they want to have some storage at night to to solidify. I mean, I think that's what they need to do. So speaking of these battery packs, sort of the industrial strength uh, power packs, um, they're now out. You can now order them. And we wanted to do a little bit of the pricing on this because it's a little depressing. So the smallest order you can get right now is two power packs. They're $47,000 each. But then you also need inverters and all this other stuff. So it comes out to about $162,000 for a 200 kilowatt hour uh, battery backup storage thing which can do 100 kilowatts of peak power. So for my place, if I was thinking about doing it for my house, basically uh, a 200 kilowatt battery would give me about seven days of power. I use, you know, around 30 kilowatt hours a day. They say the average American household uses about 10, so I'm using more than the average. That turns out to be $810 per kilowatt hours of storage when all is said and done, and that is too expensive. This distributed energy, and you're going to make your energy and uh, store your own energy, most people say you need to get around 100 to $200 per kilowatt hour of storage. And at $800 of these big battery packs is way too much. Now, it probably gets cheaper as you get more and more of them. So at scale, that number comes down. But if you just buy the smallest version with just 200 kilowatt hours, 162 thousand dollars now i could do that at my house i could do the thought experiment i could do that at my house and i could be completely off grid i could make no solar energy for seven days and still have enough energy for my house i would not though have enough energy to do my house for seven days and fill up my car a couple of times because my car has a 90 kilowatt battery but again that's worst case scenario that assumes that your solar panels uh, are not making any energy So there is some number at which uh, you could sort of charge up your cars and your house and have enough backup so that if there are a number of cloudy days, you still be okay. Maybe it's around 200 kilowatts. I'm not sure, but it's certainly not cost effective at that number. This is going to have to come down by a factor of, I guess, you know, something like fivefold before people really think, all right, I'm going to get solar panels and my own battery backup that's big enough to take me completely off grid for my home and my car. It's quite a big battery pack you need for that. Maybe the plan is that he just wants somebody to buy like a thousand of these things. Yeah, I'm sure there are a hundred of these things. And then... Yeah, they're for utility scale, right? Right. He doesn't want to screw around with the onesie twosies. So at this point in the proceedings, we pull over into, uh, this is kind of funny, into a gas station that had closed down and we change drivers. Robert's going to have a drive. He's going to take us home. And, um, of course, my audio got all screwed up and um, I'm going to have to do even more jumping in. But I just want to take out a few small sound bites as we drive home and we get Robert's impressions about the car. But first of all, and there is some language here, me in the back seat with Robert driving and he accelerates at full speed. Here's the response I gave. You're probably going to, holy sh**. Told you we were in for a much different drive. Holy f- Okay, I've had enough of that. <laughs> just, just tossing it around corners. I think we need a little Shit climate control. It corners pretty good though, huh? Yeah, it does. That was kind of the first time I experienced full Tesla acceleration. This is not even ludicrous mode. This is just a standard X, which is 0 to 60 and 4.8. That's the first time I'd experienced it where I wasn't in charge. I'm in the back seat and he guns it 
And now I understand those YouTube videos of people freaking out. It's a weird sensation when you don't know exactly when it's coming and you're in the back seat and you're not in control. It's like, what the heck just happened? All right, our next story that uh, we talked about was about solar panels and a big international study that said, you know, solar degradation, the panel degradation is really variable depending on the manufacturer. And you've really got to be careful because some under heat and cold stress, when they do this sort of in the factory and they heat them up and then they cool them down and heat them up and cool them down and they try and replicate what would happen over 20 or 30 years in the real world is quite variable between manufacturers and you have to be very careful. It doesn't really matter where they are made. A lot of the Chinese manufacturers actually stood up very well underneath these circumstances. So the key thing when you're buying solar panels is to make sure that they've got some efficiency guarantee. Solar City, for example, Sun Power, they have 80% uh, guarantees that at 20 years, it'll be making 80% that, of the energy that it makes the day you buy it. So that's good and important because there is a lot of variability there. So now it's uh, Robert's time to try autopilot for the first time and let's get his thoughts. It is strange feeling. I feel sort of like... If you pull back on the stick again, it'll increase your speed if you hold it. Okay, so now our truck's going to be coming in right in front of us here. Oh, good God. Okay, that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why didn't it engage? Jesse, I I I want you to work. So what happened there was that a car sort of merged right next to us and in front of us and the Tesla didn't move. So we think that was a autopilot failure instead of it giving us an alarm, instead of it uh, moving to the side, uh, Robert had to take over. We think, we think that was a failure on Tesla's part. So this is reminding me just first impression of when I was younger and I would go to Disneyland and the cars, there was like in Futureland. Autopia. Autopia. In Tomorrowland. The car would sort of ride and in the center of the road was this bump up. And the tires would just bounce against it left yeah. and right. And that's totally what this feels like. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day that that ride, those cars run on propane or it was some stinky. sort of... And they're still... Whoa, it's still. This dude just came into our lane. It's still there. That's because he's on his telephone while driving. And he doesn't have autopilot. Schmuck. Um, I think that ride, more than any ride is the ride Tesla should be sponsoring and change those yeah, cars to, electric to little Tesla. electric cars, have a supercharger, like little mini supercharger, make them look like roadsters. I yeah. think it would be awesome. Because they kind of already a little bit look like roadsters. But getting you get behind one of those cars and it's pretty gross. Because they have the exhaust. Oh, I, remember the, I remember the horrible... The next story we had was from Bloomberg, and they reported that at this uh, European Congress that Elon, you know, he likes to run the mouth a little bit, said this, We have an idea for something which is not exactly a bus, but would solve the density problem for inner cities. Autonomous vehicles are key, he said, of the project, declining to disclose more. I don't want to talk too much about it. I have to be careful about what I say. And then later he said, I very much agree with solving the high-density urban transport problem. There's a type of car or vehicle that would be great for that, that'll actually take people to their final destination and not just the bus stop. So clearly uh, he's thinking about what's next. What would this little bus be like? Would it be a bus for one person? Is it just simply an autonomous car? What would it be like? I don't know, but it's exciting to know that Tesla and Elon are thinking about how we get to this next level. One thought experiment I had was that maybe uh, they're little detachable pods. You're all together in the bus and then you get into uh, this sort of detachable pod as you're flying along 
and it takes you over to your house and then it goes back and attaches itself to another bus that's coming by. Something futuristic like that would be George Jetsony. Tom's now going to talk a little bit about uh, the vesting and the cash that Elon is getting from building the company. 20 milestones that he has to hit. He's hit seven out of the 10 market cap, which I don't, I don't think are great estimates of, of his prowess running the company. And he's hit five of 10 of the production. So when this particular set of vests, and this is not his only set of stock that he's received as in his role at Tesla, around April 27th, 2012, the stock closed at about $33 for a market cap of $3.39 billion. Uh, April 22nd, 2016, the stock closed at 253 for a market cap of $33.75 billion. So that's a lot of value added right there. That's tenfold. We then went on and did a little bit of uh, wild speculating. Like, if he continues to grow this company, if this goes into a company that doesn't make 500,000 cars a year, but many millions of cars a year because of what we talked about earlier in the show then Tesla could be sort of in Apple's area. Maybe it gets to a $500 million valuation with all the other stuff that it's doing. And then if you add that to SpaceX and the explosion that could be occurring there in their market cap and Solar City, he could become the world's richest man in pretty short order, at least on paper. He could become worth hundreds of billions of dollars. And the only reason that's exciting is because here's a person that's shown that they don't care about having hundreds of billions of dollars, except in what it can do. It's sort of an accelerated Bill Gates thing. Let's start saving the world right now. Let's build wealth by trying to do good things for the planet now. Let's become a multi-planetary species. Let's move uh, to a clean grid. Let's get electric cars going. That's why I'm excited about somebody like this becoming the world's richest man, rather than somebody who's a petrochemical giant, for example. But of course, a lot of things have to fall into place for that to occur. The Tesla has to work, has to be a runaway success. SpaceX has to keep growing. None of these things are guaranteed. And then a giant revelation occurs when Tom is playing with the instrument panel. Oh, wait. Auto lane change is off. Melvis turned auto lane change off. The lane departure warning is also off. I think we should put that that on. (laughs) The side, side collision warning is on. Thank you. Speed limit warning is on the display. Turns out when you actually turn on autonomous lane changing and you use it, it works. My bad, I'm sorry. We did it multiple times and it worked flawlessly. It waited for a space and changed lanes for robot. My bad, I'm sorry, my bad. Let me read a couple of letters and then we'll get final thoughts from the knuckleheads. The first one is from Jeff Decker uh, regarding episode 30. He says, hello, talking Tesla. Today I listened to episode 30, the speedy run through, and I was laughing out loud the whole time. You guys were hilarious today. I really enjoyed the banter, the nice movement, and the way you guys take everything to the next level. Thanks a bunch. Also, how long do you think it'll take Tesla to remove the physical steering column and connect the steering wheel to the electric motors by wires? Now, we talked about this, Jeff. We weren't sure what you meant. We you suggesting like just get rid of the steering column completely uh, because it's fully autonomous or a way for you to sort of be able to have a steering wheel and not have a steering wheel we weren't sure get back to us on that 
Now, Joe Willett also sent us an email that asked a specific question. He said, guys, I was thinking about the Powerwall, and what would it take for it to be useful enough for me to buy one? And then I realized it would be useful if it had a Tesla charger cable on it. Imagine plugging it right into your car to fast DC charge your car, so DC to DC, straight from the battery into the car. The problem with that, Joe, is that um, they're not big enough. At least the, the 7 is not big enough. Seven, your car takes 90, even if it was a fast way to charge, direct current to direct current, um, they're just too small. But, you know, in the future, maybe you will have an affordable, big Tesla, big 100 kilowatt, 200 kilowatt battery at your house, and that would increase your charge times over what we do right now, which is fast AC charging. You could basically have, in theory, it's my guess, a supercharger at home. But again, you're going to need... A big battery. Well, my initial impression of the car on Friday when you dropped it, when you came by with it, was that it is an amazing, overall, it's an amazing piece of technology. Does it have some minor fit and finish things if you start to nitpick the hell out of it? Yes, it does. Do all cars? Absolutely. If you have the money and you need the space, then sure. Is it again an SUV. I don't think it is. I think it's a new type of car because you you can carry a lot of people, but can you carry a lot of stuff and people? Like what is that really going to work out to be? But again, it's an amazing piece of technology, autopilot, electric, four four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive. Like it's an amazing it's an amazing thing. That's that's my first impression. The way Robert drives it is it's frightening. even better. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful vehicle. It's really nicely made. It looks great inside. It's clean. I like that they've kept a lot of the same features as the X, which works. I think that it handles amazingly well for such a monstrous, large and heavy vehicle. And the acceleration is just fantastic. <laughs> It'll keep you safe. You can get out of the way of people. That's one of the things I love about it. Uh, same thing I love about the Model S. I love this windshield. This is really cool, and it'll let you space out even more when you're on autopilot. And the autopilot is, is, is challenging. I have to say it first. It's challenging. But honestly, when I first, when I first got my Model S and I drove out of the factory, I think my... Pucker Factor was at a, I was at DEFCON 5 Pucker Factor for probably a thousand miles because I was just very worried that something was going to happen that I couldn't control and I had the screen to distract me and it was, but now it's completely second nature and uh, I expect it would be the same thing with autopilot. So they're impressed. And I got to say, so am I. I knew I would love this car and I really, really am impressed by it. It's pretty stunning. But if we go back into history, for those of you that have been with us from the beginning, the reason that I actually got a Model X, you know, when I put the $5,000 down two or three years ago, was to replace my wife's car. She has a midsize SUV. It's a Highlander hybrid. It's a really nice car. But I wanted to have two electric cars. We've got lots of solar panels. Let's try and get zero carbon emissions for our home. So I got it for her. But initially, before we got it, she said, I don't think I'm going to like that because 
um, of those silly doors. As soon as she realized that the front doors opened up normally and that she wouldn't be drawing attention to herself all the time with those gullwing doors, she's like, well, that's different. And in addition to that, it's the carrying capacity. So I did a video and I put it online of the Highlander versus the Model X for storage capacity. It's about seven or eight minutes long. You can go to TalkingTesla.net to see that video where I go through the doors and I go through the carrying capacity. And it turns out that the Highlander does have significantly more carrying capacity in a car that's about the same size. But that's just sort of for big stuff in the back. Overall, it's probably about the same carrying capacity. But let's get her initial impressions of this car that she, unlike us, she's not a geek. She's just somebody who wants a car that's nice, that can carry her stuff around. And what does she think of this amazing piece of technology? All right, tell me again about uh, what do you think of the seats? Okay, I like the seats compared to the other car. Model S. Oh, it's shocking. I like this one better because they're cushy and squishy and they embrace me. So far, do you like this one? You've been in the car exactly five minutes. This one versus the S? Yes, I do. But I do worry about the windshield. That windshield sun, I, you know, I'm worried sick. So from Mary's perspective, she really likes it. She likes the form factor. The two things that she's concerned about is that big windshield. We live in Los Angeles. It's really hot. And we drove it on a hot day and the sun was right over our heads. And you get a hot head. There's not enough shading there. So the choice is to do more tinting on that giant window or to put some form of sunshade. And I'm going to try and find some sunshade, sort of little blind things. And we're going to try those out. That was the single biggest concern. Then also this carrying capacity thing, is that going to affect her? She has a lot of art supplies and you know stuff like that she carries around. So maybe that's going to be a factor. But overall, she loves the way it sits up high and uh, feels more like an SUV. And that's the style of car that she likes. So we have a problem. Well, if you love this car, then I'm going to have to get one because I love this car and I want this. The S has been great, but this is the form factor, the sitting up higher... Uh, a little bit bigger I really like it but we'll uh, hang out with this for a month or two both driving it and then we'll make some big decisions about baby S we might have to trade him in so we'll follow this story in the next few weeks we'll tell you more about our discoveries on the Model X and you know I'm really thinking about trading in the S and getting an X because I, I got a loan for my S and the payment on that loan is really not much different than getting a lease on a new X, maybe 100 or 200 bucks a month, which I can totally do. It's not a problem. And that's really the form factor I want. And I would lease another X. I wouldn't buy it. And people have asked this, and so let me sort of address it now. Should I lease? Should I? There's many more people smarter than me that go into this in a lot of detail. But if you're buying a car and you just want to pay the least amount for it, then you buy it. And then you hold it and use it for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. i got a 16-year-old van out there. It's the cheapest car ever because it's all paid off and I've been driving it for 100,000 miles past the time when it was all paid off. But for this type of technology that changes so fast, the autopilot is going to change so much. The batteries are going to change a lot. I want a car in this particular genre that I can flip every two or three years and get some of that new technology. Even my S, which is just two years old, doesn't have autopilot, doesn't have a lot of stuff. Uh, the new S's have bigger batteries. And we've just heard that the, the newest version of the S with those slight changes now has a range that's estimated over 300 miles. So that's why for this type of car, I would like to get a new one every three years. And so a lease is better. Now, 
The reason I don't feel too guilty about that is because I know that there's a whole bunch of people who can't afford to get a new X, can't afford to get a new S. People like Tom, who are really sitting there waiting for people to roll that X over so that they can get it for $70,000 instead of $100,000 or $50,000. So these cars in the secondhand car market are going to be gobbled up, and I feel good about that. I don't actually feel good about flipping a gasoline car because somebody else is just going to drive it and burn hydrocarbons. But I feel really good about taking an electric car like a Tesla and handing that off to the next person because it's so much cleaner. And the more of these cars we can get on the road, the better. Might be a bit of a rationalization, but I get to win both ways, right? I get a new car every two to three years, and then that car gets to go to somebody else who may not be able to afford a brand new one, and it's a clean car, and it's a beautiful car, and it's a safe car. So I feel good about it. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this was a bit of an experiment. Sorry the audio wasn't so great. We'll get back to our routine scheduling uh, next week. But my name's Mel Herbert. He was Tom Wolfson. And he was Robert Rosenblum. She was Mary Herbert. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Because we're talking. 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 Talking.